And welcome into Ball. He is ESPN's Tom Luganville. I am Ryan Brown. We are here to talk some week one college football today, as always, presented by MyBookie.ag. Code next round. When you sign up at MyBookie.ag, get that welcome bonus. And also, for a limited time, a free chip to use in the MyBookie Casino. MyBookie.ag. Code next round. MyBookie.ag. Code next round. What is up, Lugs? How are you today? I'm good, man. I tell you, this week is moving fast as we approach week one, man. I'm I'm fired up. It really is. And uh, you're a week away from your game, which is very interesting. ESPN's announced that, right? Can I can I can I spill the beans on where you will be? I believe so, yeah. I mean, we're only a few days away, so go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, Duke Clemson, which is an interesting game. We'll get uh, we'll talk about with Luca Bill coming up in just a little bit. But we want to start today where you and Dunaway left off a little bit and kind of exploded. <laughs> After Monday morning live, and in context, I think what you said was what you said. There was a little bit of a lack of context, and people left off part of the bite where you actually talked about a couple of corners that are five-star guys, a quarterback that can win you some games. But what you said about Coach Prime, it got back to Dion. He asked you if you'd been there to see any of these players. Uh, I, I just thought maybe we would add a little context to what you and Dunaway talked about. Sure. I, I mean, I, I'd be glad to. And uh, actually, my comments yesterday, I don't know if I mentioned Dion at all in relationship to his ability or inability as a coach or a recruiter or anything of that nature. Um, listen, I think, you know, and if we could have gotten into it a little bit more uh, when, when we were on Monday Morning Live, we probably would have. We were moving on to some other topics. But when, when I when I look at this Colorado roster. And I see what it was, what they played with a year ago, what they've gone out and done in the off season, who they've brought in, right? Naturally, my curiosity is to start really peeling back the layers and say, you know, who are these guys, right? So, you know, I think that they have brought in upgrades. I mentioned that on Monday. I think the quarterback's a player. I think Cormani McClain, Travis Hunter. I didn't even mention Dylan Edwards, who I think is gonna be a great player. Uh, at running back as a true freshman, but they went out. I think they upgraded their, their running back room with Alton McCaskill coming over from Houston. Um, I think they've done a, a decent job adding some people uh, to the front on both sides of the ball. But here's where I think it, it's easy to buy into the hype because it's fun to watch this whole thing unfold because a lot of people that I talk to, Brownie, they look at this thing in one of two ways. This thing is going to be either the most spectacular success story of modern, modern inter intercollegiate athletics, or it could be the exact opposite of the spectrum. I don't know which one it's going to be yet, yeah. because I don't know if this is something that can be swapped out overnight with the, the state of the program as he took it over. Colorado hadn't won a bowl game in 17 years. They've had two winning seasons in the last 17 years, right? So when I say, okay, well, what is one of the worst rosters? Well, I'm looking around to their contemporaries and to their peers in the Power Five conferences, and I see, like, I think Northwestern's in the conversation, okay? I think Stanford's in the conversation, who they happen to play. But you look at a lot of teams as well that, that weren't considered to be overly successful teams last year that won three, four, five, six games, right? This team a year ago, and I know it's not a year ago, but this team won one game and might have been the worst performing football team in college football last year. And I think most people who have watched them would agree with that. So my take on why the roster still isn't where it needs to be is also relative to the people they're out there competing against. And when 
when you go out and you you lure some guys from Power Five programs, okay, that for whatever reason are in the transfer portal, and maybe they've played a little, maybe they've played very little, maybe they had a significant role, maybe they were a starter, okay. But you also have to acknowledge that a, a large portion of this roster, you have Old Dominion represented, yeah. Maine represented, okay. Kent State, Jackson State represented, Robert Morris, Southern Utah, okay, Missouri State. And that's not an unfair thing to point out. See, I, I feel like if you're giving analysis to this team and what you think they're going to be, like I look at them and I think they're going to have a hard time um, being able to consistently protect the quarterback or move the line of scrimmage on offense. Now, they've got better players at the skill guys than they've had before. But that's that's a fair assessment when you look at where this program is, what he took over, what they're trying to accomplish. Now, if you and I are having this same conversation three years from now, and all of a sudden you get four or five different high-profile guys going into the transfer portal every year, and Colorado gets two or three of them, and then they supplement that in high school recruiting, all right? Well, now you've got a, a completely different discussion of the roster. I think this is the start. How it will work out, I don't know. But I don't think it's unfair to say that when you look at the rest of college football, that while there may be some improvements in some areas and some better parts, um, they still have a long way to go. I mean, I look at their schedule, Brownie. I don't know, but I, I see potential wins with Colorado State and Stanford. I don't know who else. Yeah. Who else on that schedule? Where, where do you coming up? I'm hearing people talk about five, six wins. Where? Yeah. I mean, he's coach of the year at that point. I mean, oh, he's, let me tell you something. He gets to five wins. He's coach of the decade. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. And it's not necessarily because everything's bad with Colorado, but look at the conference they're playing in. Yeah. Look at the quarterback play. We've talked all off season long about the Pac-12 potentially having four college football playoff caliber teams. All right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there's always fair debate when you're given analysis and, and, and criticism. If a head, sitting head coach wants to respond to it on social media, I, I have no problem with that. He's got every every right to do it. Deion Sanders does his does things his way. I'm I'm cool with that. But um, to say I'm not familiar with those rosters after the last 18, 19 years of high school recruiting and player evaluation and seeing those guys either at their original stop or their second stop or their third stop, I think is a little inaccurate. All right, let, let me ask you this because we discussed this on the show today when we were discussing this on the next yeah. round. If if for what if Lincoln Riley had said, you know what, USC's not what I thought it was going to be, I'm taking the Colorado job. If if Kirby was like, I'm tired of sweating in Athens, I want to go where it's cold, I'm taking the, the Colorado <laughs> job. You know, if 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 Dabo Swinney took the Colorado, you know, an elite a, a guy that we accept, this is an elite coach. Give me what would be success for that coach. Like if if Lincoln Riley took the job, give me three, four, five years. What you say? Okay, this would say he was successful doing it. Like three, four, five years down yeah, the road. Yeah. yeah, give me where they are in four or five years. What do they accomplish? Where you would say, okay, that Lincoln Riley was successful at Colorado. It was not a failure. Um, I, I think that this initial portion of the the cleaning of the house has to play out well. It yeah. has to end well because it has to create whatever that foundation is. All right, that you then build upon. Because I think Deion Sanders is more than smart enough to realize that you can supplement your roster with the transfer portal. I don't know if you can have it all be the transfer portal all the time. You're going right. to have to go out and develop young players 
keep them in your program, develop them into starters and potentially all conference players. And they're going to recruit hard. And he is the name right now when it comes to maybe a different creative way of doing it on the recruiting trail. And so that's going to resonate with kids. I think a level of success, if you would say, hey, this worked, you're an eight plus win team that's in competition for the Big 12 championship, right? You're going to a quality bowl game and you've changed the narrative and the perception of the program. And let's keep in mind, you know, I, I referenced some of the other real down rosters in college football. Well, Boston College has been recently successful, yeah. right? A Northwestern has been recently successful. Stanford has been at times really recently successful. Colorado hasn't. This is a completely different undertaking. And so again, there may be improvements, but I, I, are there are there improvements enough to beat quality teams, to beat good teams, and do it multiple times? Time will tell. It will. I, I guess you know. I was just thinking, like if Re Lincoln Riley or Kirby Smart went there, I could see them playing for the Big Twelve in year three, right? I could see them maybe in a Big Twelve championship in year three. Yeah. So if 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 by that measure of success, if Deion Sanders does that in year three or four, then I'll say he's successful. I'd, so I, I just, I, I'm trying to quantify what would be success for him. Yeah. Because it's going to be a show. I know it's going to be a show, but what is actually successful? I mean, it's not a good program. This Colorado yeah. hasn't been good in a very, very long time. So I don't even know how to measure his success there. Yeah. I don't know what's quantifiable yet. You know, are we saying, okay, uh, you know, because, you know, this was a team that gave up less than 41 one time. <laughs> what time? Less than 41? Yes. And I can double check that for you, but I'm 99.9% sure I'm correct on that. And then the, the span of their last six games. So, like, what are we now saying about a level of success if you are Deion Sanders and that staff? Now, I yeah. think outwardly they're saying all the right things. We coming. This is happening right now. We're not, we're not building to something. This has to happen right now. Well, what if you're just so completely outmanned that you're, you're down 25, 28, 30 at half to, to several teams? What happens when all of the offseason hype and the giddiness and the excitement and the, and the drama and the flair all of a sudden turns into successive losses? What, what does your team do, right? How do they respond to that? How does the coaching staff respond to that? If you happen to have a, you know, a first-year coach at a place and – the expectations are probably beyond what they should be. And you go out, you lose 55 to three. What are you going to do? Right. I mean, they had gotten so good at Jackson state so fast that you didn't deal with a ton of those. Yeah, moments, exactly. Right. And, yeah. and you were bringing in your, your transfer level players there. You know, they had a lot of group of five guys and power five guys transferred down to the FCS level. Okay. Obviously that's going to be a bit of an upgrade. Right. And so, I, to answer your question, I don't think anybody knows, which to me is why this is one of the most fascinating experiments in, in all of college sports. Yeah, and, and you know, at Jackson State, too, they had on that level the Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State advantage where they were the best team on the bus every single yeah. week. I mean, they never right. played a game against a team on their level where they were at a roster deficiency. And that's the way Alabama plays. It's the way Georgia plays, the way Ohio State plays. They show up with a better team. You you've yes. got to you've got to somehow they got great coaches, obviously, but you got to somehow overcome that because they show up yeah. with a better team every single week. Well, it's like I always tell you guys, right? Like, how do you beat an Alabama or a Georgia? Right? You have to play out of your mind, yep. and they have to do something to screw it up. 
That's right. I mean, that's that's essentially kind of just how it works. And um, and so I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be very interested to see. And I, and I think with everybody, like with, with everybody, not just Colorado. And I know all eyes are on Colorado right now. But like, what do you look like from an organiza- organizational structure? like standpoint right forget like yeah. players aside we're going to see in week one we're going to see poor kicking game play remember the florida state lsu game last year opener i was like oh my goodness right uh are we going to see delay of game penalties are we going to see substitution infractions like how how buttoned up are these teams in week one and 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 who makes the fewest errors and 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 the least amount of of mistakes because that does matter it really matters you know especially when you're in week one two week zero where Nobody really quite knows quite yet exactly what you are or what you're capable of being. All right, Ball with Tom Lukerville presented by MyBookie.ag. Do not forget code NEXTRAIL when you go to MyBookie.ag to get your deposit bonus and for a limited time, a free chip to use the MyBookie Casino. You can use that deposit bonus right away. They're also doing something wild this year. You play a parlay, your first two legs hit. You may not feel great about that third leg. You don't want to stay up late and watch Hawaii. You try to get one home. You can cash out and uh, just take the two to the two legs there. Cash out that third leg. Use the funds elsewhere at mybookie.ag. Code next round. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere. Mybookie.ag. Code next round. Also, don't forget lanceslock.com. This past weekend in football, eight and two, eight and two in the ten games he played in football this past weekend. He's been red hot. He will yeah. continue that. You can get it lanceslock.com. Lanceslock.com. And then take those plays over to mybookie.ag. Eight two is pretty good just for the record, much less against points for it. <laughs> and not uh, to mention that was a tough weekend. Oh gosh, yes, week zero, <laughs> yeah. and then NFL, and then NFL preseason games. <laughs> yeah, holy smokes! Yeah, how you managed to do that, I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the Thursday night game, Nebraska Minnesota. Uh, I am a Matt Rule fan. I love me some Matt Rule. This guy I took over a bad program at Temple, had them their best season they've had in forever. Took over a complete dumpster fire at Baylor had them playing championship level football. Uh, I mean, really Nebraska as down as they are, Lugabill is the best situation he's walked into as a head coach. If you consider those other two. Yeah, it might be the best situation that he's walked into in, in the worst proximity to great players. (laughs) It's it's terrible. I did at one time we talked about this years ago because I said, Nebraska, the recruiting will never allow them to be back where they were. And I'm right. a Matt Rule fan, and I hope he gets him there because I like him. And I think, Lugabill, I look back, I could only do like two or three years. But the closest five-star player to them was like 300 miles away. And oh, yeah. then the next, the next closest in that three-year period was like six or 700 miles away. You have to go so far to get to good players now. Yeah, we did a study on one of their classes. It might have been 2012, 2011, what have you. The average miles away of every signee was over 900 miles away. My like, God. It's like how how do you how do you it's do just hard. And now and now, you know, everything is so much about getting kids on campus, right? Getting them there for junior day in the wintertime, getting them there for spring football. And 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 then now you change the rules so you can do official visits earlier. You'd think, okay, well, that should help a team like Nebraska, because they can get on kids earlier and they could get them to campus um in an official capacity. And um it hasn't really played out like that. And and the thing that's frustrating is the program is so chock full of resources and pride and tradition and a fan base that is not only remarkably loyal, but also remarkably patient. It's yeah. as if it doesn't matter how they play, they're showing up and they're just starving for a consistent winner. And Matt Rule's proven time and time again, he's capable of doing that. 
Um, but I do believe that you're going to have to, it's, it's a little bit similar to Oklahoma, although Oklahoma borders on the state of Texas. But if you want to go in and get some of those premier defensive linemen and, and, and some of those guys that are in Alabama and Georgia and Louisiana, and Florida or South Carolina, Mississippi, you're got to cross over three, four five states. And from Nebraska, you're going to be more of a national recruiter. You're crossing all over all of those states. And not to mention, if you look at the states that border the state of Nebraska, like how many guys are in South Dakota? How many guys are in Colorado or Wyoming or Kansas or Iowa? Forgive my None. geography here. But yeah, so you're, 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 you're making the double leap. And so I always said when I first started covering games at ESPN and Bo Pelini was, was the coach there and he was averaging nine, 10 wins uh, a, a game or a season. And I kind of felt like he didn't get fired for not winning enough. He got fired for the teams he lost to. Yeah. Like he would go nine and three or 10 and two, but one of the losses would be to a Minnesota team when Minnesota wasn't very competitive. Right. And, but when you actually look back and you, and you look at what they did on the field, that dude won a lot of football games and it has not been able to be duplicated. In fact, it hasn't even, it hasn't even been close. So uh, to, I listen, I like Matt rule too. I don't know if he's going to have the better football team when, when they take on Minnesota this week. And I am unbelievably curious to see which Jeff Sims we see. I was a little bit surprised they took him in the transfer portal. He is insanely gifted at some things athletically. He's got arm talent. He can run. He's big. You watch him walk off the bus, and you're really, really impressed. But his entire career at Georgia Tech, for some reason, he was an up-and-down player, extremely streaky, turned the ball over, battled injury issues. So – What's the level of consistency that Matt Rule gets out of the quarterback? Because that, to me, is what will either get them off to a fast start, all right, and maybe cure a lot of other woes. But if that doesn't happen, are they good enough everywhere else uh, to see significant improvement? You know, it's, I, I want to come back to that real quick because you were mentioning how far they have to go for good players, and this has always puzzled me a little bit. And, and you're right. I mean, obviously the numbers bear that out. How is it then that the two Dakotas can be so good on the FCS level? Because they face the same thing at their level, right? How are they able to build these amazing rosters and dominate the FCS level? But the schools in that part of the country, the Colorados and the Nebraskas and the schools in that part of the country that are trying to do it on the FBS level can't. Isn't that kind of weird to you? It is weird, but the answer, in my opinion, is that there's way more of the developmental FCS-level okay. football player out there than there is the top 10 Power 5 guy. So, right. for example, on average, there's going to be between 26 and 2,800 kids in every class that will sign an FBS letter of intent, right? That's not right. even counting the FCS or Division Two or Division Three. And now let's just say you take the top three to 500 of that 26, 2700, all right? That's your, your Alabama, Ohio State, yeah. Clemson, Georgia type player. And then it's going to trickle down from there. So I think what they've been able to do is identify and develop and maintain within, like I would say, a one state radius, both of those two states and getting into Wisconsin, right? maybe getting to Illinois and identifying the player that everybody else is going to take somebody else before they take that guy. And yeah. then you bring that guy in and you redshirt him and you feed him 
and you get him in the weight room. And maybe he doesn't play for you until he's a redshirt sophomore, but he's not leaving early, right? So you're yeah. going to get three years out of that player, likely. And when he's done, he's a full-blown fifth-year redshirt senior, which in college football right now, Ronnie, we're not seeing a lot of that. No, 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 no. You're right. You're just not. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, that's always fascinating to me. It's a great answer as to why, and it does it does make a lot of sense. What does P.J. Fleck do? Um, because P.J. Fleck kind of gets labeled, and this is an insult to him, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's the way he gets labeled, is he's a real rah-rah, you know, cliche, coaching cliche, you know, put the sayings up on the board, you oh, know, yeah. those kinds of things. But it's deeper than that. I know he does a lot of that, but it's deeper than that. I mean, this guy has won football games. It's deeper than just doing it that way. It is. I mean, the bottom line is his teams win, right? Yeah. Nine and four and nine and four each of the last two seasons. I, I thought they had the benefit of a lot of age and experience at the quarterback position, at the running back position, in the offensive line, especially two years ago. Um, during a very difficult time with COVID, people getting the extra year of eligibility. I thought he really played that well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's not for everybody, right? You kind of feel like sometimes you got to take him in doses. Yeah. But whatever he's doing internally with his team, they're responding to. And how can any of us fault that? And, um, you know, they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback as, as, as well. Um, well, less experienced quarterback, that is. Right. And, um, you know, playing at home to Nebraska, that's a div. I've, I've done many games in that Minnesota Stadium. It's a great venue. It can get really loud. The crowd's right on top of you. And, you know, when you look at these, you got a first-year coach, a first-year staff, a new quarterback at Nebraska. And they're all coming in trying to figure it out. And you've got a well-established program in Minnesota. You've got to figure that gives the Gophers some advantages. I wanted to ask you about Ball State, Kentucky. And I know the game itself on the service, on the surface, excuse me, doesn't look like a great game. But I think Kentucky with Devin Leary, and you've seen yeah. Devin Leary play at NC State. Sure. I think it's an upgrade over Will Levis. I, I'm quite certain that Liam Cohen's an upgrade at offensive coordinator from what they had last year. Are they upgrading at both spots there, do you think? I, I believe so. I had um, the the Citrus Bowl with Iowa and Kentucky two years yeah. ago before Liam Cohen had moved on, and, and you know he was the the, the coordinator of, of of that offensive football team. They were dialed in. Now they had they they had Wandell Robinson. I mean they they had some established guys, some really established running backs. Um, and the offensive line at that time was really good. So I, I think the arrival of Devin Leary, um, Liam, Liam Cohen getting back uh, to steer the offense, but maybe a third component too is they kind of got to get back to like what made them so competitive and so consistent. And that was just lining up, running the football, being physical at the point of attack. Uh, they've got a bunch of those young receivers that played last year as a true freshman, as true freshmen. So there's plenty of weapons for Devin Leary. And if you go back and watch NC State last year, they were rolling until Devin Leary got hurt. I mean, they they were on their way to maybe having a special season and then go from Devin Leary to MJ Morris as a true freshman. And it kind of threw a grenade on the whole entire thing. So he's got to stay healthy. That was also, you know, a, a criticism of, of Will Levis. Uh, he was nicked and was not overly healthy his, his career at uh, Kentucky and neither has Devin Leary. So I think that's, that's the priority number one. If he stays upright and he finishes games, yeah, he's an upgrade. Uh, don't forget at Lance's Lock on Twitter. At Lance's Lock, go on Twitter. See how you can sign up. Uh, great packages available throughout the season. Uh, four winners for you, so you can take them to places like mybookie.ag and turn it into a little bit of a winning. Lance's Lock 
Lance.com and at Lance's Lock on Twitter is where you get started there. You mentioned NC State, by the way. That's a weird game for them Thursday night at Connecticut. Having to go to Connecticut is just – it's a weird road trip to go face Jim Morris bunch. They're a two-touchdown favorite, yeah. but you, you just feel – I don't know. It's a weird road. I always wonder about that. Like, you see teams playing in an environment – NC State, they're not used to going to a place like Connecticut. I always want to No, they're not. And it's it's not the Connecticut of two years ago. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. A little better, right? <laughs> What's that? That's a, I mean, it's, 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 uh, you're right. I mean, that is that is a it's, a it's a program like if you I can't remember when Randy Edsel had them so good, right? When was no, that? I mean, uh, it was yeah, years and years and years yeah, ago. 10 and years then, ago, 12 years ago, seems like forever. Yeah, it does. And then Jim Morrow got him bull eligible last yep. year. Nobody saw that one coming either. So you're right. Uh, let's talk about Boise State in Washington. It is a 2.30 Central ABC kick out on the West Coast. Uh, you know, Andy Avalos, when he replaced Brian Harson when Harson took the Auburn job, got off to a little bit of a rocky start. Yeah. Hank Bachmeyer out. Uh, it, 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 it feels like this is a critical year for Andy Avalos. Not saying he's on the hot seat or whatever, but it feels like taking that next step because, you know, Boise fans have gotten that back in the BCS days, that BCS bowl taste in their mouth. And boy, starting it with an upset over Michael Penix and Washington would be a huge step for him. Yeah, I, I had a couple of those games too. And you were right. It was almost like they lost a little bit of their mojo. They lost a little bit of that, that, that Boise State swagger where they knew they were the cream of the crop at the group of five level. And at any moment, if they played a power five team, they could beat all of them. Like that, yeah. that's kind of like their mentality. And then they kind of struggled throughout the regular season a little bit suffer some losses for a program that, you know, they've been accustomed to being 11-1, you know, 10-2 and two at worst for a number of years, 12-0, uh, and 0, what, whatever it may be. I, I think he did a really good job of, of kind of getting the team back, got them back in order. He had to make a tough decision at quarterback. It ended up being the right decision um, with, with Hank Bachmeyer at now where uh, Louisiana Tech, I think, yeah. is yep. where Hank's at. And so, yeah. uh, and I you know I saw him a couple of times when he was a, a freshman and, and, Saw him come back from a 31 to 6 deficit at FSU um, at halftime and, and win the game. So, um, I listen, the, the one thing that you got to look at with Washington is Washington knows what they're getting into with Boise. There's too much of a history, there's too much of a respect. They've played each other a lot. And Washington and Kalen DeBoer, their, their coach, you know, you've got Michael Penix back uh, virtually most of the offense is back and there's a lot of expectation, right? The, the, I don't think anybody thought that they were going to go into last year and come out of last year with the season that they had. So now you get a, a great off season of hype and, and I think offensively it's warranted, but it's, it is a dangerous game um, in, in my opinion. And we saw, listen, we just saw San Jose state, you know, put up 28 on, on SC, um, is Boise capable of doing that? Maybe they are. I mean, maybe it's going to be one of those ones where it's high scoring in, in on both sidelines, but Washington wins because they pull away because they there's just a difference between Power Five and Group of Five. Have you been to? A, have you done a game there? That stadium is at Boise. Always, yeah, no, 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 no. At Washington, I'm sorry, at oh. Washington. That stadium. It, it, now this is a 12:30 local time kick, so I don't know if they'll be juiced up, but it's back in the day when I was growing up and. Don James had them so good. That seemed like an impossible place to play. And then they revamped it, and they actually sunk it down more. Right, so now right. I feel like it's almost below sea level. 
And then you've got, like you referenced, those big metal overhangs yep. because of the rain. Well, what happens is it traps all the sound in there. Yeah. And everything on that stadium is metal. So it is really loud, like really, really loud. One of the most picturesque settings you will ever see in college football. If you're looking, I think, to the – they're at East-West Stadium, I think. So you're looking to the east side, and you're out over the water, and you see yeah. everybody sailgating and, and all of that stuff. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I always wanted to go to a game there. I just remember uh, it was the Mark Brunel Napoleon Kaufman. 1991. Yep, yep. Yeah, boy, those teams yeah. are fun to watch. And it, oh, we, always, yeah. we, we joke about it. Uh, we joke about it on the show, the shaky camera game, because they used to have those camera yeah. wells in the upper deck, and those people get rocking in that Especially camera. Especially there. Shaking. Oh, yeah, man, that shaky yeah. camera game at Washington. I like the, I like them to get that back. I, I've always kind of liked that program for some reason. I don't know why. And I do think Kalen DeBoer is a really good offensive coach. We saw it at Fresno, and we saw it year one at Washington, what he did with Michael Penix. Well, I'll say this about him. Um you know, he was the offensive coordinator of that Indiana team and head coach Tom Allen when, yeah. if you remember that opener against Penn State, he yep. leans yep. and hits the pylon, All right, So he goes on. He has a really, really good year. They're really good. Kalen DeBoer is the offensive coordinator. He gets hurt and tears his ACL. Our crew had them twice since that happened. Once against Ohio State, where he barely made it through the first quarter, and the other time was against Cincinnati. Brownie, I'm not exaggerating. What I tell you is one of the worst quarterbacking performances on both occasions I've seen from a power five guy. Wow. He couldn't move. He had no confidence. Um, they, 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 they literally could not move the football. And you started to wonder, like, is it, can this guy recover? How, is this guy going to be able to mentally from the neck up recover? Because it, he was a shell of himself, right? So then – you know, Kalen DeBoer works wonders with Jake Hayner at Fresno State and then goes and gets Michael Penix. And I'll be the first one to say, I was like, Michael Penix? I'm like, the guy from Indiana that we just watched for like the last year and a half? Yeah. yeah. And next thing you know, he turns him into Superman. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. So, again, another great example of what confidence can do. Like, right, you, you have a, a belief in a coach, a coach that's got a belief in you, a system that you feel so comfortable in, and you just let it rip. And all of a sudden, you come right back to the guy you were that that year when he played, and, and they beat Penn State in the open. MyBookie.ag, code next round when you sign up there at MyBookie.ag. Get that sign-on bonus, the welcome bonus they have there. And also, uh, for a limited time, get a chip you can use the MyBookie Casino. As the games roll around Thursday night, get on now. MyBookie.ag, use code next round when you sign up. You mentioned Tom Allen. That's where I was going next. Uh, good news for them. They host Ohio State. On the first Saturday, the 2.30 uh, Central Time, 3.30 Eastern Fox game, um, Ohio State's going to win the game. But if you go back and watch the uh, the tape on this game, you want to see what from the Buckeyes? Um, Consistent quarterback play regardless of who it is. Mm -hmm. I just think it's – and again, it was a great line, and I keep reiterating it because it makes so much sense to me. But, you no, know, Ryan Day is saying make the routine plays routinely. Um, they're going to, whoever it, and it looks like they're going to play Kyle McCord first. Yep. Um, but we'll play Devin Brown. I know he's done a couple of straw polls with the staff and it seems to be divided right down the middle, which tells me that they're neck and neck. And one guy probably made a couple of plays that the other guy didn't. So they're going to give him the, the, the benefit of the doubt. And then I think they'll also find out throughout the course of the game. How does the offense respond to each guy? You know, um, because sometimes that can be, 
not something that's easy to pinpoint when you're in practice, right? Because everything's about reps and charting what they're doing and the ones versus the twos and the twos versus the ones. And I get my group with this group and, and I get my turns with that group. Now, when you go in there, like how do you affect the football team? And, um, you know, when it comes to being disciplined in your progressions, your decision-making, throwing an accurate football, understanding that you don't have to play outside of yourself. I mean, can you imagine, I'm not saying they huddle anymore, but can you imagine walking into that Ohio State huddle as the quarterback and just scanning the huddle of the skilled people that are around you, right? Like, just don't screw it up, man. Yeah, Go really. make those plays. You're a high-profile recruit. Both guys were. Both are very, very talented. Kyle played well when he played last year. Might be another reason why he got the nod. I think it's good that they're going to play both of them. Um, and then somebody will end up getting the hot hand and they'll have a much better grasp of it. And that will make the decision for them. They need the players basically to make the decision for the coaches. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. One team in that conference plays a primetime game Saturday night. We're going to talk about some of the bigger games here, including the one Lugaville will have. You'll see him uh, on the Duke Clemson game, Labor Day night. Only game going that night, Duke Clemson. Uh, Lugaville's crew will be there with Dave Pash and Dusty Dvorak. Um, they are all going to be there. I don't know why I just took a shot at Dusty there. Dusty seems like a, an incredibly nice guy. I didn't think you took a shot at him. Did you take a shot uh, at him? What is a Dvorak? I was making fun of his oh, name. Oh, oh, you remember a little mispronounced. Well, my last name's Luganville. Everybody screws that up. So <laughs> sure, you got a passion, a Dvorak, and a Luganville. Y'all oh. got, got the weirdest name crew there is. I know. <laughs> Uh, Penn State, West Virginia. It is a primetime game from Happy Valley. Neil Brown um, is probably on the hottest of seats. In, in fact, I think his buyout last year was $20 million or else he probably would not have the job this year. Um, this is a tall, tall, tall order for them. But we talked the last time on ball about Drew Aller, the new Penn State quarterback. But it's not just him. When you look at James Franklin's team and you start with him on uh, on Monday or excuse me, on Saturday night, against West Virginia, if they are going to compete with Ohio State and Michigan for that division and then ultimately the Big Ten crown in the playoffs, they have to do what differently? What does James Franklin have to change to put himself in that battle with Ohio State and Michigan? Well, I think you have to win the games that you're supposed to win when you're the, you're the superior opponent and look good doing it. I know it's uh, a lot of people hate hearing that or they hate when somebody says that, but sometimes it's a sign that – you know exactly who you are. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. And we're going to line up and we're just going to beat the tar out of you. I mean, yeah. it's, and, and when you have that mentality, I think it kind of reflects a championship level type of demeanor to you. And then when, when talent is more equitable, you know, when, when you are matching up against an, an Ohio State, you have to prove that you can go toe for toe with them, which I think Penn State can. But then don't be the team that makes the mistake, like especially in those types of matchups, because there's everything. The, the margin of error is so thin and it doesn't necessarily come down to how many plays you make. It, it comes down to how many mistakes did you avoid? And to me, that's what this Penn State team has to do. The schedule benefits them big time. Like they don't play in many rowdy, I would call road yeah. environments. Um and they'll be in most of those environments with the superior team. They have what I would label as one, sometimes as many as two high-level NFL draft choices. It, it basically, just every about every position across the board. Uh, the running back position, the tight end position is two, three deep. 
Um, defensive front, offensive line. Might have the best young linebacker in college football in Abdul Carter. Uh, every, every position group is legit. So, Ryan, the, the problem is, is the excuses are going to wear thin. Because I think when you look at all of the pieces to the puzzle, this is the best, most equipped team that he's had. Now, in fairness, you are trading a boatload of production for better talent at quarterback. And you need that to somehow meet in the middle, meaning yeah. that Drew Aller's going to make some mistakes. He's young. He hasn't played like Sean Clifford had played, or we just we saw Sam Hartman. You know, he's had now 46 starts. So you're going to have to take some of the bad with the good. The good news is the guy is so talented, he's also going to do some things that maybe Sean Clifford's not capable of doing. And 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 you're going to take those plays too. And he's got a healthy run game behind him. I don't know that there's anybody that's happier to see Big Ten divisions disappear than James Franklin because, I, oh. I mean, but they consistently, they've been the third best team in that division, but it doesn't do much for you when only one team from that division can play. Now, much like Clemson and Florida State, you know, that regular season game, it's got a lot of meaning, obviously, but you mm -hmm. can rematch, you know, if I your know cards it. fall right, Clemson, State, Florida could, or Clemson and Florida State could play twice. And now if I'm James Franklin, I'm not guaranteed to get Ohio State, Michigan every year on my schedule. Because mm -hmm. now we don't have the divisions to worry about. Right. And in the event I lose to one of them, if I take care of the rest of my business, I probably get another shot at them. So there may not be another person in the country happier to lose divisions than that guy. Yeah, it, it just takes away the do or die mentality, yeah. right? And, and, you know, again, you, you look at, um, I had them against Washington one year in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Saquon Barkley was on that team and Trace McSorley. And I think they finished 11 and 2 really hammered Washington that day, but they finished 11 and two. They didn't win the, the big 10, right? But they finished 11 and two. Well, if you would have taken that team and put them in a 12 team college football playoff format, they would have been a problem, yeah. right? So now with the ability to get revenge during the regular season and still potentially win the conference, if you lose to, to one of those, but knowing that the, the playoff format is going to be wide open, you could take what is maybe top second or third level team if you have consider Penn State to be one of those three and they still have a legitimate legitimate shot at winning a national championship I don't know if you have any history with Dowell Loggins the new South Carolina offensive coordinator it's I an interesting it's, well, it's an interesting hire you know Marcus Satterfield was the offensive coordinator he goes uh reunites with Matt Rule at Nebraska Correct. And now Loggins comes in and takes over Freddie Kitchens called the bowl game for Spencer Rattler. But but the reason I bring him up is if there's a guy that can get can somehow milk the best play out of his quarterback, um the the impact of that on their team might be as as great as South Carolina is, is anywhere. And what I'm trying to say there, if you get consistent Spencer Rattler, you saw what that team could do against Tennessee and against Clemson at the end of the year with good play from him. If Dowell yeah. Loggins can somehow unlock from Spencer Rattler, what nobody has ever been able to unlock, and that's consistent play. I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy, Lugabill. We've seen him when he plays really good ball. Yeah, you can't constrain him. What I mean by that is I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that you say, pre-snap, this is your progression. 
post snap, this is what you must identify. And it's one, two, three, four, check down, whatever it is, right? I think he is a Roy Tin Cup McAvoy. Just grip right. it and rip it. Right. Right. Like turn him loose. Cause I feel like that's what they did late in the season. And he flourished. It's almost like a kid taking the ball and going out in the street with his buddies and he's just playing street ball. Right. And he's slinging it and running here and running there. I mean, you have to have some form of, of structure to the scheme. But I think, I think a lot of, of what freed him up was just letting him go. Right. Just turning him loose and, nobody's ever questioned his arm talent. Nobody's ever questioned. He's got one of the best releases you'll see on any quarterback. And um, the challenge for South Carolina, in my opinion, is I think they're going to be a pretty decent team. But with that schedule, how in the world are they supposed to get to 500 or above? I just don't – I don't know. And that means they got to beat North Carolina, which if North Carolina wants to, they can get you in a track meet. Well, don't you expect that in this game? I mean, that's what I expect yeah. out of this game is just if somebody asked me earlier today, you could only watch one game this weekend, which one would it be? And of course, I said, well, my boy Lukabil's doing Clemson Duke. That's going to be my choice. <laughs> but then I said, if you like great defense, I would say LSU, Florida State. We'll talk about that one in a second. Yeah. If you like great offense, I think the Battle of the Carolinas. Um, I think one will be a little more defensive, but I think this game has potential to be a game played in the 30s, maybe the winner even – in the low 40s in this game. Yeah, I I can see that. I think there's a lot of validity there. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because when you look at North Carolina defensively, if they can just get 20% better, right, they they don't have to be a great defensive football team. They have to be a competent defensive football team, kind of like SC. Like, just be competent, and it's a whole different conversation. And so – if they, you know, they didn't tackle very well last year. They got better as the season went on. They didn't have a lot of what I would call gap integrity and structural integrity in their defense in the sense of guys being where they're supposed to be and doing what they're coached to do. I think that got a little bit better. So if, if they are just able to upgrade some, the offense, including the quarterback, they got nine starters back off of that thing. And, um, and, and the other thing, too, that I'm looking forward to in that game that you got to keep an eye on is I don't know what happened with North Carolina late in the season, but up until probably week 10 or 11, it was really the last three or four games, they were the maybe one of the most highly efficient teams on third down and in the red zone on offense that I've ever seen. I mean, it was yeah. ridiculous. They, they couldn't not convert a third down. They couldn't not not score a touchdown in, in when they got into the red area. And then it all went away. And it was weird. It's like a switch went off. Somebody shut the floodgate and said, no more of this. Now you're going to have to come up with another way to try and pull this off. And it cost them. Cost them big time. And so do they get back into that mode of dictating terms to the defense, staying on the field, and not settling for field goals um, in the red area? Uh, by the way, Texas Tech, Wyoming, I don't know if that's going to be interesting in that late time slot either. Uh, I am very excited. I can't I can't wait till next week to talk to you about Texas Tech, Oregon, because I, that'll be a good game. But yeah. boy, if the Red Raiders look past Wyoming, I don't know. Is that one in Laramie? That is in Laramie, yeah. I mean, Texas Tech on the road at Wyoming. That's a, that's another element there. That is tough not trip. an easy place to play. Yeah. 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 Tough trip. Yeah. yeah. Getting there, not fun. <laughs> Night game, uh, CBS Sports Network on that one. All right. Let's talk about, um, oh, by the way, under the radar group of five game. 
ESPNU primetime, South Alabama at Tulane. Tulane's got Ole Miss next week. So if you're South Alabama and you catch them maybe peeking ahead to having an SEC team coming to Yulman Stadium, and Kane Womack at South, that's a pretty good team this year. I think that's an interesting group of five under the radar game. That's a great one that I'll be paying attention to because I have that game the following week between Tulane and Ole Miss. Oh, do and you? So, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, God, Lugabelle, it's going to be so freaking hot. Three o'clock kick. I wanted that to be a, dude, like an 8 p.m. game. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. But you know what? It only happens to me. I, I mean, it just, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, no. it's, it's, it's unreal. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to be paying close attention to that game. Uh, See, you know, Willie Fritz, interesting. He's got three new coordinators off of yeah. that Cotton Bowl championship team. Uh, the quarterback's fantastic. They, they got dudes on offense. Most of the offense is back. Going to be fun to see them. And you're right, South Alabama could be very interesting. Yeah, I think Kane Womack, uh, he's done a good job there. Will Coastal Carolina, do they have anything at all for UCLA? That is the really the only late game we've got. It is an ESPN uh, 930 Central, 1030 Eastern kick. Uh, we saw Coastal go beat Kansas in the – was that in the COVID year or the year? I can't remember. Uh, but Coastal Grayson McCall. Be yeah, Grace of a call. When we can. I know they've had a coaching change. Obviously, Jamie Chadwell took the Liberty job to replace Hugh mm -hmm. Freeze. But they go out and play UCLA, um, who starts life without DTR. It seems like DTR played there forever. Yeah, no no question. And I, I still think anytime you go into a game and you have an established quarterback as you started that you know who he is and what he's all about, that's an advantage. Even if it's a group of five versus a power five, uh, matchup, but UCLA has got nine starters back on defense. They did a really good job of replenishing their losses by going into the transfer pool and through high school recruiting. So they go get Carson Steele out of Ball State to replace Zach Charbonnet. Uh, they go get Colin Schley, the veteran quarterback out of Kent State, to give him some depth for DeAndre. Um, why am I drawing a blank? DeAndre Moore, the quarterback. Yeah. Um, from uh, Michigan in last year's class, you know, depending on a whether he's ready to start or not, I think UCLA is going to be sneaky good. I, I mean, I, I really do. All right, let's talk about these last two games. We'll get to yours in one second, but LSU-Florida State Sunday night um, is that game on ABC. This is a guy, I've, I've said this, and I may have said it to you already. I remember watching this game last year and like, uh, boy, that was an entertaining game, but neither one of these teams are any good. Uh, Florida State ended up having the best year they've had under Mike Norvell. LSU ended up playing for the Southeastern Conference Championship, so it shows what I know. Um, and now we look at this game and we're like, well, these are two championship-level teams. I mean, either one of these teams could play for or win their conference championship. I did not think that going into this game last year. Yeah, and I think the one distinct difference with this year's game versus last year's game is I think LSU knows so much more about what they are on offense now. Right. They just I don't think they figured out what to do with Jaden Daniels. They didn't know Mason Taylor was going to emerge at tight end yet. They played two true freshmen at both offensive tackle spots. Right. You're trying to figure out who the running back's going to be by committee. And then they were sloppy. And in the bottom, yeah. bottom line, they, they were sloppy like we talked about that before. And it was one of those games where, you know, Jordan Travis and the Florida State offense and that defense, they clearly came to play. I thought they made fewer errors, not many, but fewer than LSU did. And you go into this game, LSU just seems to kind of have a different makeup about them, a different, a different feel. There's a confidence on offense of exactly who they are, who they're going to be. But you have that exact same confidence with Florida State. I think the one thing that I'm really looking forward to in this game is, does Florida State come out? Guns a blazing and just 
hit the ground running or do they fall victim to all of the accolades of the offseason, come out flat and not meet the expectation or the standard that they're capable of playing with? Because think about it, Ronnie, it's been a long time since that that program has had an offseason of people looking at them and not just talking about them for the ACC championship, but the college football playoff. And they've been in that discussion the entire offseason. This is an entirely different group of kids that haven't dealt with a lot of those expectations before. What do they do? They get caught up in it or do they use it as a motivational tool to make it actually come into reality? Yeah, I mean, the last time they had this kind of talk, they were opening against Alabama in Atlanta. DeAndre Francois was Gets the returning hurt. quarterback. Yeah, and he got hurt in that game. Yeah, Was it number five uh, versus number two? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. Uh, Florida State had the lead Alabama. Damian Harris blocked the punt. And uh, kind of kicking game. game. Yep. Every time. I mean, I'll yeah. tell you what, my dad, my dad lives by this. Like anytime a team gets a punt block for a touchdown, my dad's like, there's no chance they're going to win this game. I mean, and, and he's probably, <laughs> I mean, the odds are in his favor there. You, you get a punt block for a touchdown. That is really difficult to recover from that. Well, not only have you scored, you flipped field position. It's a double whammy. Exactly. Yeah, it's a double whammy. All right, let's talk about your game. Before we do that, a reminder of a couple things. Number one, as you watch this, please give us a thumbs up on YouTube. We appreciate that. Make sure you subscribe to all of our YouTube channels. You're watching this right here on Disrupt the Media. Please subscribe and set your alerts so you know when we drop programming or we're live at Disrupt the Media and also our Next Round YouTube channel, uh, Next Round Live, the War Down Pods YouTube channel, the Roll Tide Pods YouTube channel. Please subscribe to all those. Set your alerts. Visit mybookie.ag and uh, use code next round when you sign up for that welcome bonus. Mybookie.ag and lanceslock.com for all the big plays this week. Lanceslock.com. Lugabell Monday night prime time will be uh, in what is normally a sleepy stadium, Durham, North Carolina. I, I, know, I know Alabama played up there back in 2010 and the Bama fans came back and they were calling our show. They're like, Guys, I don't even know if they knew there was a football game, man. Dunaway always talks. I don't know if Dunaway told you this story, but he's walking on the field before the game, and they're playing Chicago Saturday in the park. And he's like, is this – I mean, what, what is going on here? We got Saturday in the park? I mean, so this is not exactly a football mecca, but David Cutcliffe did a nice job there. Mike Elko yeah. can coach football. They've got a solid quarterback. But, boy, this is an uphill battle for them. Yeah, but I think he's better than solid. I think oh, yeah. Riley Leonard is really, really good. And it's funny you you say that about, you know, t- 2010, because I used to always, and I would do it tongue-in-cheek, but I would always judge whether or not a university is serious about football if in the modern era they still have a track around their field. 100%. Yeah, you're not a right? serious program. Yep, 100%. Right, right. So it took a long time for them to take that track up. I know, but I, I will know. say this, because of David Cutcliffe, because of that success, because of, I think, an institutional awareness to say, you know what? We can and should be good in football. Let's start investing in it. We got a brand new uh, press box facility, brand new football operations facility. There is no more track. They've renovated the stadium. It's not going to be the biggest venue you're ever going to see, but they've they've really put some nice touches into it. Um, so it's it's a much better uh, atmosphere. You know, I, I'm a I'm a huge believer that if you are a a first year head coach, really even if you're not a first year head coach, but you take a new job and you happen to hit on a quarterback early, it completely changes the complexion of your program. Because if you solve that position, all the other positions start to fall in line, right? And so if you're struggling to get off the mat because maybe the quarterback's struggling that you inherited, that can make the the build a little longer. Mm -hmm. But Mike Elko 
And his offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns, went through a quarterback battle and had Riley Leonard emerge kind of out of nowhere. Nobody even knew who they were, who he was going into last season. And this is the thing about that team. And you're right. It, it, from a talent perspective, is there a gap? Yes, of course. Of course, there's going to be. But this is what that team did last year. Every fundamental area of the game that as a coach you would preach that we have to be better than the opponent in, that's what Duke did. Yeah. So Duke last year, when they converted 40% or more of their third downs, they were 8-1. and one. When they converted 40% or less than 40%, they were 1-3. and three, All right? They were plus 16 in turnover margin. Again, a massive number. Okay. The quarterback made a slew of plays, slew of plays when things weren't perfect, right? Because he's a really good athlete, although he looks like a statuesque pocket passer. And then defensively, they went from awful to competent. But somewhere in that competency, they increased their sacks, they increased their tackles for loss, and they limited their explosive plays. Like for a team that went into just about every matchup, Maybe they're outmanned talent-wise, but they did all of those things right. And that's what they have to continue to do because last year they didn't have Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame to schedule. They do this year. Garrett Riley takes over. And, I mean, if if I'm a Clemson fan, knowing what the potential of Cade Klubnik is and knowing yeah. what Will Shipley, beyond potential, what Will Shipley is, um, I, I feel like I'm getting a little Christian McCaffrey, and I don't know what Cade Klubnik is, but he's a good quarterback. And I feel like I've given Garrett Riley this toolbox that said, man, go have fun with this. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, they, they need, my opinion, Bo Collins to get healthy and get back to the form that he showcased as a true freshman. You're like, whoa, his, who's this dude? Because yeah. they need somebody opposite of Antonio Williams, who's really carried a heavy load at the wide receiver spot. So they need more um, targets to emerge uh, because I think they want to get back to the vertical passing game. I think they want to get back to those explosive plays. I do think they'll be a bit more up-tempo. Um, Cade Klubnick's had enough under his belt now the, over the last year to have a taste of it, to know what the expectation level is, and we saw a lot in a limited sample size, a lot of really bright flashes. But we also saw some freshman moments, which you're going to be prone to see uh, with young quarterbacks. Offensive line is probably the healthiest it's been in you know two to three years. Meaning, when I say health, meaning strength of 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 that unit, because uh, I think it went through through a bit of a downturn. They're not just one fold at running back; they're two fold. Phil Maffa is a great second back option, and also I wouldn't be surprised if we would see a lot of two back from Clemson on Monday night to get him and Will Shipley on the field. And Brownie, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this is the most one of maybe the most loaded defense in college football. Oh really? They're two to three deep at every spot. Um they're they're gonna have NFL guys along their front four with an eight man rotation easily. Um I mean Peter Woods will be I was playing. about to ask, is he going to start? Is Peter Woods starting, you think? Whether he starts or not, what he gives them is the opportunity to play every spot along the front. Yeah. He's like a bigger Christian Wilkins. So don't be surprised if you see him at defensive end spelling some of those guys. Then he'll go inside and he'll spell a, a, a tackle. So I don't think with him it's so much does he start. It's the impact he has on the plays that he gets. Yeah. Because if he had gone anywhere else, maybe you know he would be potentially starting in the front. But very talented group there. And I think lastly, I'll end with this. 
No, Dabble loves to play the little old Clemson, you know, role. And it's been hard for them to do that lately because they've been so dominant over the last, you know, 12, 13, 14 years. But now everybody's talking about Florida State and they're talking about North Carolina. And I think he loves it. I think he's just sitting there going, all right, guys, let's get to work. Uh, don't let them worry about all of that. And we'll just do our do our thing over here. And I had somebody ask me, well, you know, would you pick Florida State over Clemson in the ACC? And I say not until further notice. Are they they, they got to take it away from them. Yeah. They got to take it away from them because Clemson, people acted like the sky was falling the last two years. They they won 21 games, Ryan. 21 games with, at times, very mediocre quarterback play. You, that doesn't happen unless you're talented. Yeah, they're definitely talented. You can see that game, uh, Labor Day night, 7.30, ABC. I know ESPN, you're on ESPN, are you? ESPN, yeah, ESPN, ESPN yeah, at 8, o'clock. ESPN, yeah, 8, 8, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. I completely messed all of that up. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, don't mess up. Go to mybookie.ag, use code next round. Don't forget they got that parlay deal. You you play a three-leg parlay, you win those first two, you want to cash out and say, I'm, I'm good. They'll let you do that right there in mybookie.ag. When you use code next round, it's sign on. You get a welcome bonus that you could use right away, plus a chip you could play at the MyBookie Casino. If you want the games to play there, Lance Taylor is red hot at Lance's Lock. At Lance's Lock on Twitter, get his plays. They got packages for a weekly, monthly, the whole season. Great deals there at Lance's Lock. Go to Lance's Lock on Twitter. Take those plays over and use them at MyBookie.ag. Code next round. Please give us a thumbs up and make sure you've subscribed to our Disrupt the Media YouTube channel. All right, have a fun week, Lugs. We'll see you uh, Monday. Well, you still got Spitting Lugs with Lance. Monday morning right. live with Dunaway, uh, 7 o'clock Central, 8 uh, Eastern time, every single Monday. And then we're here with Ball. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a fun week one. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, man. See you next week.